Thank you very much, uh, Mandy Ploskis, for being here. Um, I'm very happy to uh, sit into your presentation where you will discuss the ways the art deploys technology, narrative structure, and sound in space, sharing details about past and upcoming projects. You will delve into the significance of oral expansion, textual assemblage, and unexpected juxtaposition in, the in your intermedia work. Uh, in order to present you to a very uh, intimate audience, <laughs> I don't know where everybody went to. <laughs> Mandy Pluskis, Obadike make art, music, and literature. They have exhibited and performed at the new, new museum, the Studio Museum in Harlem, the Whitney Museum in American Art, and the Met, amongst other places. Large-scale scale public sonic artworks include Blues Speaker for James Baldwin at the New School and Free Face at the Chicago Cultural Center. Their honors include the Pic Laudati Award for Digital Art, and they were recently awarded the Louis Comfort Tiffany Award Biennial Award. Keith is also an associate professor in the, in the communication department at William Patterson University, and Mandy is an associate professor in the Department of Humanities and Media Studies at Pratt Institute, as well as a poetry editor at Fans Magazine. Please welcome Mandy Ploskis. Hello. Hello. <laughs> thank you all for coming. And thank you for having us. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about our work and our practice. Um, can you? Yeah. 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 Can you hear us like this? Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, we're going to talk about a few of our recent projects and to say a little bit about our practice, um, which. Um, involves using sound to draw lines, articulate spaces, um, and invite audiences to meditate on history through um, architecture, terrain, and other materials. Um, so we're going to, uh, we'll start with a project from maybe about two years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so the first project we'll talk about is Blue Speaker for James Baldwin. Uh, so this piece took place at the New School uh, here in New York. Uh, and this is a new school's uh, relatively new university center. Um, and this, uh, this piece was a 24-channel uh, sound installation. Uh, so we'll, we'll show you a little bit of documentary video, and then we'll talk about a little bit more about the, how the piece worked.
him lurked around us, and I understood at last that he could help us be free if we would listen. And he would never be free until we did. It wasn't like living with a person at all. It was like living with sound. And the sound didn't make any sense to her. Didn't make any sense to any of them, naturally. So we'll say a few things about what was happening in that project. Um, Blue Speaker is 12 hours long, and um, there are speakers that were um, transducers that were placed against the windows. The windows um, travel across three sides of the building, and um, we use these transducers to, to, to make sound resonate against the windows and kind of turn the building into a speaker itself. Um. Yeah, and so, so what you heard in the piece were a few things. Mm -hmm. Once um, we recorded uh, soundscapes from around where Baldwin lived in Harlem. Um, and, you know, we didn't know this at the time. Like, we, you know, we read Baldwin like everyone else, but we didn't really think about where he lived, and we found out that he actually lived right around the corner from, where, from, we where, we, from where we live. Uh, so, so we made a number of soundscape recordings in Harlem, um, and so what you part of what you hear as you walk through the space is, you know, if you sort of look out the window, you hear the ambient sound of the city. Uh, but if you spend some time, you'll notice that what you see is is not what you're hearing, right? Because if you're actually in the building, you don't hear the sound of the city. Uh, so you hear, you know, displaced. Uh, basketball games or recontextualized conversations that pop up, but they're at the level of the ambient city sound. Uh, against that, uh, you hear readings of, of Baldwin, so excerpts from essays uh, and stories that, that parallel. So there are two main um, texts that we use for this piece. One is um, a short story called Sonny's Blues, um, which is about a man who is a teacher um, who is thinking about and eventually um, getting to know his brother again after being um, displaced. His brother's a musician. And so he comes to understand that he has to listen 
for his brother who has a very different lived experience um, to go hear him in the club, to hear him play, but also to listen to what he's saying, which he's had, had tr trouble doing over time. And the other thing that we were pulling from was a text that was about education and what the role of education should be. And so part of the reason why we, why we use this is because he, he argues that um, it should be to look outward, to actually take you out of the environment of the school into the street. So we are drawing people to the windows to hear him say that and also to hear um, other bits of his um, language from the story. Uh, and then the other thing that you hear, the sort of more musical information is a sonification of Baldwin's name. So we're turning letters of his name into sounds, into sign tones. And then every now and then a fragment of a blues song, uh, blues things that we recorded would pop up. And these things are mixed so that depending on where you are in the building, you get you get uh, sort of different fragments of music, different harmonies, and they also shift over time. So it's like, like Mindy said, it's a 12-hour piece, so it's, it was operating from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., and so different mixes popped up over that 12 hours. And also on different sides of the building, because it was used by different people in different ways. So one, one part was more of a study area, so those tones had to be at a lower uh, place and a less active um, kind of changing, whereas other places that were more transitory um, had a different level of activity. Okay, uh, so we'll talk about another piece that, that happened here in the city. Uh, this piece is called Fit, uh, and, and we built this piece for the Met when the, the Met was launching its, its new building uh, last year, yeah. Um, and so this, uh, now it's called the Tony and Amy James Gallery. This this is in, the, I don't know if you, if you guys have been to the new space or if you remember it when it was a Whitney, uh, but this is a small sort of gallery in the lobby. And it was turned into a performance space for the launch of the new Met. Uh, and a friend of ours, Vijay Iyer, was in residence there. He's a pianist, a jazz musician. And uh, so we wanted to build something uh, that could happen sort of in between sort of live performances that this jazz band and other guest musicians were doing uh, during the launch of the Met. So this is during the month of March. Um, so we built this piece, Fit. Um, so this is what it looked like in the plans. You see these small circles against the wall. Um, once again, these are transducers that sort of resonate the wall. And, and so once we put it in this space, this is uh, what the things uh, look like. So in between the concerts, once again, the walls would resonate. Uh, with a story and, and fragments of, of music. So we'll, we'll play you a little bit of this and, and talk more about how it works. Josh fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Josh fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Josh fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Fit. 
fit the bill. Fought the law. Fit the mold. Fought, Fought the, the tears. Fit the pattern. Fought the tide. Fit the part. Fought the blues. Fit the description. Fought the clock. Fit, Fit the, the crime. Fought the urge. Fit the profile. Fought, Fought the, the enemy. enemy. So this is a two-minute excerpt of the piece. The full piece is about nine minutes long. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and it's, it's followed by an, a longer story. Um, I don't know how much to say about the story, but you know, we were kind of thinking about different stories and, and songs and narratives about walls and um, trying to bring down the wall. Trying to <laughs> uh, so, so part of what's vibrating the walls in this piece is our sonification of search data related to Black Lives Matter. So we looked at, um, at the arrival of that term kind of in the common lexicon and, 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 and we tracked that over time and you know you can look at search engines and look at sort of the peaks and valleys of, of, of when that term became popular um, in, in search engines and, and you see this kind of strange mapping of you know when events happen in the media, tragedy happens in the media. Uh, like this teenager who was just killed, often there'll be a spike um, in, in terms of you know, how many people are actually searching for the term Black Lives Matter. Um, so you know, we took, at the time, maybe there was about two years worth of data uh, related to searches for that term. And, and so that determines the shape of this piece. So when you hear low frequencies, that's a low period uh, in searching for that term. And when you hear sort of piercing high frequency, that is a high point where, you know, uh, many people are searching uh, for that term. So, so that kind of determined uh, the shape of mm -hmm. the piece. Um, but as you know, if you, if you know the history of the Met, you might also know that the, you know, over time, certainly in, in the 1960s, the, the Met has also been a, a site of, of protest. And so we were also thinking about that uh, as we made the piece. Um, the next piece we're gonna talk about is called uh, Free Phase. Free Phase is a project that has uh, three different nodes in it, so there are like three projects that are, are linked. Um, we were commissioned to do this piece in 2015, is that right? Or, or it, was, it, it um, debuted in 2015 in Chicago. Uh, we were commissioned by the Center for Black Music Research. Um, and the project um, was shown in 2015 in downtown Chicago at, this, at the Chicago Cultural Center and then again last year at Rebuild Foundation. Um, the first part of um, Free Phase is called Beacon. Uh, well, all of the projects are around, are, we use freedom songs, we use the body of freedom songs 
to, um, to think through what is really held in them, what kind of information is held in them. And so we were think thinking about um, freedom songs um, that were composed during the time of slavery, songs that were reimagined or created anew during the civil rights movement, and also contemporary um, songs. Yeah, so we're interested in kind of expanding this idea of, of, of what uh, freedom songs are uh, in this kind of American canon of music, and to think about you know what they tell us, what these songs tell us about information and what they tell us about space. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the first node, I don't think we're, this is not what this is, but the first node is called Beacon, and we, um, we re-performed and in different ways had, had singers also uh, performing um, bits of freedom songs that had to do with times of day and had them projected into the public space at, at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 7 p.m. And the, the songs kind of relate to time in the time of day that is that where they're being played. So um, I think, are you playing something? Yeah, this is Beacon. Are you Beacon? I think you're playing the one that was at noon, right? Yes. At, at noon, the song that was played was Woke Up This Morning With My Mind, set on freedom, or stayed on freedom. So we should say that, you know, what, what you can't hear in this is that if you're on the sides of the building, you, you heard a sort of small choir singing phrases from the song. So that's what the people on the side of the building uh, are responding to. And so we're showing you this iteration of the project that happened at the Chicago Cultural Center, but we also did it uh, a little later at uh, the Stony Island Arts Deck, which is Theaster Gates, uh, Theaster Gates Art Space in the south side of Chicago. Um, so that's a little bit of Beacon. Mm -hmm. um, the, the next part of that project uh, is a video piece. Um, video and sound work overcome. Um, and this uh, was recorded at the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, the site of Bloody Sunday in 1965. And we'll just show you 
a small bit of this. So it's a 10-minute sort of four-channel video work. Um, usually we show it in a gallery context. Um, and in this piece, we sort of mic the bridge itself uh, with, with contact mics, accelerometers, uh, and instrument pickups in order to record the vibrations of the bridge itself. Um, and then those sounds are used to reinterpret uh, the piece, We Shall Overcome, which is a song kind of associated with that particular site of protest. Um, so we wanted to think about the sounds from the structure itself. Right? that piece there, but I should say, you know, if any of this is unclear, I know we're flying through these things fairly quickly, you can stop and ask us questions as we're sort of attempting to explain these projects. So the last in this series is called Dialogue with DJs, and so we were able to, um, to ask six DJs from Chicago, an intergenerational group of people who were all known for um, their belief in the music as creating uh, an important political as well as social space uh, to partner with us. And so we had a guided conversation about the, the archive of Freedom Songs. With the, the literal archive was um, the songs that are, are held in the Center for Black Music Research in Chicago. Um, but then there are also um, sort of the idea of Freedom Songs that's bigger than that. Um, so we had a couple of questions that we wanted them to hit one-on-one um, -on -one meetings with the public um, and we thought these these meetings might and they were recorded and we thought these meetings might take about 15 minutes but what ended up happening is some people sat down with one DJ for an hour to talk about freedom and music and and a particular song even um, we had to you know it, it was it was really amazing to see what happened in the conversations and we're still making our way through the, the, the audio of that and to say a little bit more about the DJs, I mean, uh, the oldest DJ in this group had been DJing since the late 70s, and he was one of the sort of first sort of house club DJs in Chicago. And the, group. the youngest DJ had been, uh, you know, DJing only a couple of years, but they had this uh, idea of relating to the archive. They had a similar idea about relating to the archive, and, that, and that's how we chose them. And so they had these really fascinating conversations. They brought their own ideas about freedom songs to the conversation. Some of them brought in uh, some of their own recordings. We had an archive of about 200 songs. Sometimes they brought their own things in, their own turntables in. Um, 
and we had a wide range of people participating from people who had just gotten off a plane, they were passing through the city on their way to another country. Uh, some kids leaving school would stop by and have an hour-long conversation with the DJ. Um, so that's, that's a little bit of, of dialogue with DJs. Um, the next piece we're going to talk about is called Sonic Migration. Um, it was interesting to follow Free Phase with this project because um, we were working through an arts organization called, we were commissioned from Scribe Video Center, um, which is an organization in Philadelphia that um, teaches media art to com community members. So people can come and learn how to make a film or um, edit audio or something, uh, but they also commission works. And so they partnered um, artists with Philadelphia organizations that had something to do with the Great Migration. We were lucky enough. Um, we were lucky enough to be partnered with a place called Tinley uh, Temple, which is has been around since the mid 1800s in one form or another. But um, today has the name of one of its most legendary um, preachers, Charles Albert Tinley, who was. Um, a, a pastor, an activist, and also a composer. Um, he wrote a lot of songs that you may know today from, from churches are also from popular musicians have also re-performed his songs. So. Um, so, so we wanted to look at this archive of music as well as a site of political activity. So this church you know, had early breakfast programs and they led protests like protests against the film Birth of a Nation. Um, and the church itself, the, the site oh, of yeah. the church, also has an interesting political history. So uh, when the city was more segregated than it is now, uh, there were no black institutions on Broad Street in Philadelphia. Um, and this church was one of the first. And the architects, at, as they were building it, they doubted that this black congregation would be able to finish paying for the structure. So they built it in a way that they could sell it as a backup plan as a theater. And, a, film, and a film theater. As a, as a movie theater. And so, we were interested in that, sort of made a sort of short video piece sort of dealing with this idea of the, the church that could have been a place for film. Um, and then we also wanted to recontextualize fragments of these Tinley songs that became sort of gospel classics and made their way into rock and roll and pop music. Um, so there's a song, By and By, When the Morning Comes. It's a well-known gospel song. Uh, we took one phrase from that song, When the Morning Comes, and we decided to stretch it out Reperform it, stretch it out, and project that from the top of the church itself. Um, and the song would rise uh, with the sun each morning. So here's a bit of what that looked like. Huh. Oh, whoa.
about that piece. I mean, the, the we just saw roughly two, two and a half minutes of it, but uh, the length of this piece sort of varied, obviously, depending on the length of sunrise each day. So it was, it was set to uh, sort of calculate the time of sunrise for each morning. Um, we'll talk about uh, two more ideas very quickly. Um, so, we talked a little bit about a project that dealt with sonification of data. Um, this, in this next piece we did, that uh, we, we focused on that alone. So, um, number stations, we have three in this series. The number stations are, um, are projects where we gave ourselves the task of um, using um, only the numbers from, a, from one of the archives that we um, talked, um, dealt with, and I'll talk about these in a moment. And we tried to, um, we sonified the data, we performed the numbers, um, and we were trying to deal with archives that um, um, dealt with some kind of violence and tried to make the numbers that represent people felt, so we could feel the data. Um, the first project is Number Station Furtive Movements, which is sonifying data from stop and frisk records that are, um, as they're reported by the NYPD and archived by the um, ACLU, made public by the ACLU. Um, so, so this is a performance at Ryan Lee Gallery um, in 2015. Um, so this is the first iteration of this project. Um, so we did the performance. It was also being sort of transmitted live, broadcast live over shortwave radio from the gallery. And then after this day, uh, the sound from this project uh, remained in the space. So the second iteration of number stations was Red Record, and we took numbers from um, the Ida B. Wells book, Red Record, which was um, about lynching statistics, statistics about lynching. Um, in that piece, we had Ida B. Wells projects, um, her, her statistics for the year 1893 and 1894. She presents the lynchings in the order, um, not by date, but by reason given for the lynching. And so we, we performed the month and day um, by year in the order that she presents them. So that if you have, um, say, five iterations of the same numbers at back to back, that's five people who were lynched at one time as opposed to somebody lynched in one place and somebody lynched someplace else on the same day. Um, the, the way that the numbers come together is um, different for each piece because the archives are different. So in the last piece, we have um, number station manifest, which are uh, numbers taken from the archives of slave ship manifests, which um, when they are carrying black people, when they're carrying people who are enslaved, don't have names anyway. They mostly have numbers. Um, and those numbers would be ages and um, height. And then for some people, the ages are so young that there is no height. So there's also that absence that we're trying to record. 
And so we should say that you know, it, this performance for the first iteration took place at Ryan Lee Gallery, the second iteration we did at the Met Museum, and then the third we did at the Friedman Gallery. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so we're gonna jump to a, to a very different piece. Uh, this is kind of early um, in the sound works. Um, so this piece is called uh, Uli Sweet. Um, And so Uli um, is, a, is a painting form. If, if you've seen, let's say, contemporary Nigerian sort of drawings or paintings, you may have seen sort of Uli, Uli lines. But, but it's, a, it's an older form that was tra traditionally done on the body and architecture. And sometimes you st still see it done at festivals. And traditionally done by women. And then it, yeah, it was traditionally done by women. And then it got taken up by men, the kind of modernist art thing. And, um, we wanted to think about those histories, yeah. So one thing that's important about Uli, in addition to there being specific lines, is that the pigments are, are usually local pigment, pigments. And so we got interested in um, what it would mean to try to draw with sound and, 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 and what elements of that could we use. So, um, so the Audio Uli Suite um, originates with our request for um, people's favorite everyday sounds. We ask our community to send us their favorite everyday sounds. And so we use um, these recordings in making the um, audio Uli Suite. And we, ha we have to say, this this was done in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so when, when we did this, like we were sort of away from a lot of people that we knew very well. and email was kind of new for us. So, so we were emailing people and people emailed us, I mean, people sent us cassettes in the mail as a response to, to uh, email. E email. <laughs> uh, Very different today. Uh, um, some people tried to email files, but, but you know. It was a different project. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it, was a, it was a different time. And, and so we, we took these sounds from cassette and then we tried to make these sort of loose lyrical lines and stippled dots associated with Uli. So, so we'll play you a little bit of this, and then we'll quickly talk about uh, a related project after the Metropole. Um, so here's a little bit of the audio from the Uli Suite. So that, that's a little bit of this piece. It changed depending on, you know, uh, when we uh, 
presented it. Um, so we, sh we showed this in a few different forms, but th this was May with sort of, sort of sitting full range speakers. So the idea was, once again, to try to make those uh, lines from, from Uli. Um, we, we later made another piece um, that we didn't you know, see, it, see as directly related at the time. This is called uh, uh, African Metropole. Um, and we did a couple of iterations of African Metropole. Um, the first we did in the late 90s, we, we you know, did, some, did some recordings in Accra. And, um, and, and, and once again, these were sort of cassette ma manipulations. And then we later, uh, and that was like 90, 98 or so. And then we later, 2011, 2012, uh, did this piece, uh, Sonic City Lagos. Um, and we showed this, um, I think most recently at a gallery, uh, Ramapo College in New Jersey. And so these were field recordings from Lagos. Field recordings combined with making a line of text. So do you want to read the text from that? So, so you're hearing some text stretched out there, but. Okay. Yeah. Um, so over a long period of time, you hear this poem, which is called um, Resonant Echo. And Echo is E-K-O, the original name of the city of uh, Lagos. City of islands, city of lakes, city of so many tongues. Who can hold down your body of angles, your flexing muscle, city of strategy? How long are your arms splashing across the tempestuous waters? Your reputation precedes you, city of doubts, a smirk in the mouth of Africa. Once and future capital, bustling port of migrants, city of music, city of money, of old camps and lost names, 
City of echoes, city of smoke, city of 10 million clattering ghosts. Um, so that was a peaceful Lagos. And, and it's in a series of things that we're doing where we're sort of recording the soundscapes of these metropoles. Um, and so we were invited to make a piece for, for this fair and, and for logistical reasons. It, it couldn't happen, but we wanted to talk about the piece itself because we hope to show it soon. And it was kind of born out of these two uh, sort of series that we were doing. So, so Vectors Pan-Africa used like ideas that we were working out in the 90s with, with the Uli series and the things that were coming out of the, the Metropole works. And for this piece, um, we use longitude and latitude data uh, uh, from the centers of, of 54 African countries. Um, and, and so the idea with this piece is to both make lines, but not the sort of loose, uh, sort of lyrical lines uh, of the, the Uli works, uh, but to really think about the sort of angular patterns you get when you're, when you're sort of tracing uh, this, this large bit of geography here. Um, so we, we sonified the data, and so what you hear in the piece are sort of sign tones and vocals singing the harmonies for, 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 um, for these points on, on the geography. And, and, and so for us, I mean, you know, when we first started working on this piece, we were wrestling with a lot of Pan-Africanist texts. Um, and we got really sort of bogged down in this, and then we thought we wanted to step away and, and sort of deal with the numbers themselves. Like, you know, what can we feel from the numbers uh, that, that cover uh, this geography? Like, what's beyond the sort of great political text uh, that frame the idea of Africa? Yeah. Older than the languages in which they are written, older than the national boundaries, because we're not necessarily dealing with the states, we're dealing with um, locations. Points. Right. So, so, so we spent a lot of time thinking about centroids and stuff, the, the central positions uh, as we imagine them. So, so it is, it is sort of a meditation yeah. on the politics, but it's also uh, a simple kind of sonic meditation on the geography. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. So, we'll, we'll stop there. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Keith and Mandy. Um, we have a little bit of time to uh, discuss and take some questions and uh, elaborate a little bit more. I have lots of questions. I'm a real fan of uh, sound art, and but I absolutely know nothing about it. <laughs> Um, and I'm always amazed how uh, artists who practice that discipline uh, have this um, incredible capacity to translate, uh, you know, visuality, materiality into sound. And this is also what I sort of 
got from your presentation because you come from beat poetic, singing, uh, uh, visual arts into a translation for for sound. So uh, the title of uh, of our talk was uh, is uh, is titled uh, "Insufflating Blackness." Um, I I am curious to 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 hear from you how you experienced. I mean, you have a long career of producing these amazing works. And for instance, the work at Parsons, I was very, uh, how do you say? Oh, the new school. Uh, at the new school. Yeah, yeah, It's called Parsons yeah, yeah. also, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They have really interesting ideas <laughs> yes. about how to, what's different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm old school, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still call it Parsons. Yeah. Uh, um, I wanted to, to hear from you uh, how that piece performed really in the sense that, I mean, I heard you say that you asked the audience to really walk into the piece and the piece was really over-encompassing the building from the inside and into the outside. Uh, I'm curious to, to, to hear from you how much Blackness, do you think that you insuff insufflated uh, through that work uh, into Parsons? I mean, I mean, we should start by saying uh, we didn't choose the title <laughs> on the top. So, so, so Adrian, the curator who invited it's us, it's very good. It's a good title. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, well, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, th I think we would say, you know, if, if we're going to deal with this idea of insufflating blackness, it was already there, right? So, so you know, I mean, Baldwin attended the new school and you know it's not a history that's widely known and so we, you know mm -hmm. so part of what we're thinking about is like you know what is the history of this institution uh what does it mean that the when the public looks into this building that is in some ways uh transparent in some ways you can see into the structure in some ways the students can see see out uh what's the relationship to the city uh who's passed through the walls yeah i, I think a lot of times i mean there there are two questions that I have when you ask that question, when I hear that question, and one is, how do you know blackness when you hear it? That's one. Um, but then the other is just, um, you know, when Keith says the blackness was already there, yeah, it, one thing that happens in relation to sound is that it makes you um, think about relations differently or, you know, notice different things. I mean, one of the things that was most interesting to us is that you know, at night, the, the place has a different sound. Um, there are different people playing music in the space against the sound. And so because there's something else happening there, people look and listen in a different way. So there's a part, there's a time of day when you might will hear the, um, the church music that you hear in, that's in this documented video. And I remember being there one from time from our piece. From our piece. Yeah. And, you know, people were saying, is there? a choir in the building and they were kind of looking around the corners. But then there's also like when people are working in the space and playing music because they're cleaning up and then you hear it against another sound and people look at each other differently, notice each other differently. You know, th th that's that's the kind of thing. It's not so much that there's, um, I mean, maybe there is a different experience of blackness from our piece, but there might also be a different experience of who's in the place because of the piece. 
And yeah, I would add that, I mean, we think what sound can do is, you know, uh, invite people to ask questions about what they're seeing ar around them, right? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I mean, Baldwin does this directly, so he's the lyrics to, to, to the piece, right? Um, and so we're sort of helping to frame a lot of the sounds that are already mm -hmm. there, so our sounds sort of help highlight, you know, patterns that are already happening in the space, yeah. I think it's interesting. It's, I mean, interesting is such a stupid word. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I think it's quite uh, compelling in a way. Uh, what you what you said about how do we recognize black sound? And mm -hmm. I think this is really a fundamental question where that uh, uh, really pushes the 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 condition or the thinking about racial recognition or profiling mm. to a very, very complex level. I tell this story, when Amy Winehouse came up uh, in the early 2000s, I heard her on the radio, and but not, maybe not following up about what the DJ was saying or whatever, so I heard her, I was like, wow, what a wonderful, singer, what mm -hmm. a wonderful music, you know. And I was convinced that she was black. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was so convinced that uh, this is a new, wonderful, black, solely voice to, to find out that this is a white Jewish girl mm -hmm. singing. Mm -hmm. So I really, I really think that that idea of that's one story. I put it against another uh, uh, consideration, which is blackness or the black experience has been so much defined, uh, deter determined, determined, yes, determined. Mm -hmm. huh? by uh, music, by sound, by uh, the body by dance and so on. So I'm just putting it out there. How do you, you know, because Mandy, you said, how do you recognize a black sound, which is, there is no way to recognize a black sound unless you know it is made by a black person, you know? So it's very, what do you think about that? I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I, I have a lot of thinking about Black Sound, I wrote a dissertation on it to be exact, <laughs> so I've thought about it a lot, but I think in our, um, in our practice, it's not always the question that I'm asking, you know, or that I, that I think Keith is asking, you know. Um, I think lots of people have talked about black music in, um, in terms, in metaphorical terms. Um, so, you know, as, as literature is holding some old philosophical ideas as, um, as a space itself, we're often thinking about what sound can do to space, but we also are tracking people who have been thinking about sound as creating space, and we also know that we're participating in that tradition. And so, um, I'm not always thinking about sound as representing blackness as, as much as representing um, 
as much as, as, as creating spaces that black people inhabit or um, um, put codes into or um, um, ideas about freedom through or um, funk into or, you know, you know so I think of it more as a place where uh, important information is housed um, for us. And, and, and I think prompts for uh, questions or sometimes we're thinking about invitations for meditation, right? So, so those, are the, those are the things that we're thinking about. I mean, we're, we're aware that these questions exist about is something black, is it not? And, and that's in the mix along with everything else, right? Uh, the idea of what makes it sound black, you know, yeah, or yeah, not. Yes, yeah, yeah. so, so, so that's there along with, you know, other sort of more uh, simpler questions like, where am I? What has happened here before? What is about to happen? Um, so those things intersect with these questions about your own body, the way you identify, um, perceived. the way you're perceived. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so, so questions and exploding sound as a container for information, yeah. Um, we don't want to monopolize mm -hmm. the conversation here. Um, if you have comments, uh, questions, interventions, we open the floor for a few questions. Excuse me, you have one? Yeah. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi, thank you. Um, first of all, I just wanted to say that I think your, your art and the body, your body of art is really interesting. Um, I particularly enjoy the idea that, <clears throat> you know, it's almost some sort of sound hacking that, you know, that can be um, implemented where you insufflate, and I thought it was quite a good word, you know, new narratives into spaces that have a history and you're making people sort of reconsider you know, um, their approach and their being in that space by sort of changing the, the environment in which uh, they are at that moment. So I think that's very interesting. But um, my question would be, is there something to you about the ephemeral nature almost of you know, sound performances or sound art that has made you know, the curation or, um, you know, the presence of sound performance and sound art sort of difficult to be in those, you know, spaces, to be in the museum, to, um, you know, sort of be captured over time, mm -hmm. um, you know, beyond just the immediacy of um, the viewer or like the, you know, the person who visits the museum's experience at that moment. Yeah, th th there are certainly, you know, there are challenges, but there are challenges with every form, right? I mean, you know, if someone makes paintings, how do you how do you preserve them? How do you make sure that those things have integrity? Um, the sort of ephemeral, sort of intangible nature of sound is part of what you know attracts a lot of people to it. Um, so there are unique opportunities with sound. There are challenges to presenting sound in in, in different sites. Um, and to documenting. And to documenting it, as you see, like how do you, you know. How do you document a 12 hour piece? You know? How do you document a 12 hour piece, which could happen with all kinds of performances? How do you, how do you represent what's happening spatially 
uh, with something that is invisible. Um, um, so yeah, yeah, there, there are certain challenges. Um, these things are, they're more people are becoming aware of, of the practice, so that's making it easier to sort of take it into, into museums and galleries. Uh, and then, you know, some of these pieces, we described some of the ideas from the 90s, some of these things we couldn't realize until now because the technology was not there, right? So we had this interest in making lines and spaces and, and we had an idea for what kind of technology you would need in order to do it, but... It didn't exist yet. It didn't exist yet, you couldn't do it. And, and so, you know, there are certain projects where, you know, institutions are interested, uh, we have the idea and then we have to wait or build the tools and some, often we're sort of, sort of hacking together tools that you know, other people have done for other purposes, things that you know, come from engineering or theater, theater or acoustical measurement. So, so, so sometimes we're using those things. Um, like for a lot of the lines that we're making, we're using these sort of hypersonic emitters that can only be heard when someone's interrupting the beam. Or a very, very narrow beam, so you have to be in the path of that beam or be in the path of the reflection of the beam. And so those things couldn't be done sort of, you know, sort of 15 or 20 years ago when, or at least we couldn't afford to do it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when we first had the idea. So, so they're challenges, but they're great opportunities too, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You and you. I deeply regret that we couldn't have your piece here. And it's uh, in French, you say, say, que partie remise. That means it's for another time. Yeah. And uh, uh, we will make sure that uh, the logistics are, are ready for, for your great work. Thank you very much. Thank you for the audience. I would like to remind you that the forum continues tomorrow. Tomorrow is a, is a very exciting day because uh, we will be discussing with uh, various protagonists that use uh, the virtual and the digital into uh, expressing uh, resistance uh, and black resistance. So we'll have uh, Thomas, Thomas Lacks talking to artist Sandra Perry and uh, we also have uh, an amazing uh, opportunity to have, uh, I think, a conversation. Someone told me that there are conversations at Forum that never take place in the US unless we make it. So they another conversation is uh, uh, a conversation between uh, Charles Gaines and his son Malik Gaines and Alex Egade, who are uh, members of the Barbarian, and they will talk uh, intergenerational transmission about uh, artistic practice and struggle and blackness. I think that will be absolutely uh, engaging. And uh, there is also a conversation between uh, curator Smooth Zewi, who will be talking to Sadie Barnett and uh, Odili Donaldo Dita about uh, their work and how it relates to the overall uh, conversation we've been having about resistance and you know uh, working with archives and uh, how artistic practice or how politics influence the artistic practice of particularly someone like Sadie Barnett. So I really recommend you to, to come back and uh, spend the afternoon with us tomorrow. Thank you very much Thank Keith you. and Mandy. Thank you.